0: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 38 of Her Story. This is your host Cassidy Reed, and today I'm talking with guest Amy Bebbington. Amy is from the UK. She is the director of training for the Association of British Choral Conductors or ABCD, co-founder of the London International Choral Conducting Competition, and founder of Wavelength, which is an organization created to celebrate, educate, nurture, and support women in choral leadership. In this episode, Amy and I discuss her life and career, mentorship and conducting, supporting women in the field, among others. And we also talk about some of the challenges of COVID and teaching virtually and all of those fun things during a pandemic. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode. Please like it, share it with your friends, make sure you're following all of our social media accounts. We have a Facebook page, we have an Instagram account and a Twitter. So make sure you're following all of those pages and I will see you next week.
1: So I'm Amy Babington. I'm the director of training for ABCD. ABCD stands for the Association of British Choral Directors. And I am a choral clinician and educator, animator and composer. So I have lots of fingers in pies with all sorts of different musical activities.
0: Yes, I love it. I'm so happy you're here. Um, So let's get started. What got you started in music in the first place?
1: Well, I think... Music and dance really were the only two things I could do. (laughs) Um, And uh, I suppose I started playing the piano from the age of eight. So we just had a piano in the house. Um, I lived in a very old, large, rambling farmhouse. um, And we had a piano that was just in the house. And I just used to play it. Every time I walked past it, I would play it. Um, So fortunately, my mum signed me up to piano lessons at the age of eight. And, yeah, it just sort of went from there, really. Um, Did lots of singing. Uh, My mum sang in choir, so I just used to tag along and and go along with her and enjoy the choral music making. Um, And, yeah, I just went to a straightforward secondary school, so not a a private education, but just the local comprehensive down the road, um, where actually the music was really, really quite poor. So I... Um, was fortunate enough, thanks to my mum as well, she, um, she really fought for this, to um, have private lessons, actually, when I did my A-levels. So uh, this is, I think, unheard of and unprecedented, but um, my school and my parents uh, shared for the, the payment of these lessons. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. That really turned my life around, actually. Um, so alongside my piano lessons, and I used to play oboe as well, which to be frank, I, I don't think I was that good at, and I just used to want to <laughs> throw it across the room. Every time I picked it up, I thought, Oh, I hate this instrument. It was just so hard to play. It um, is a
0: bugger of an instrument for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yes.
1: It definitely is. Yeah. So I tried that for a year or two and I thought, no, this is not for me. Um, then yes, I, I, uh, did my, a-level music with another girl actually. And we used to drive to an ex director of music's house, this little old cottage uh, in the Welsh Hills. Um, and we used to go there twice a week, every week for our music lessons. And I think that was the time that I really thought, actually music is my calling over and above dance. Cause I, I did ballet and modern and ballroom and tap and all of those other things as well. Um, but even though I had a real passion for dance, I was encouraged to follow a career in music because, uh, ironically, that was considered to be the better career choice. <laughs> so Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's great. That's awesome. Um, I'm so glad that your experience was so positive from such a young age and that you had the experience of being able to have a school that like financially supported you in private lessons and things like that, along with your parents. is amazing.
1: I think this was because my mom really, really fought hard for it. Yeah. Uh, And that was because she felt that the music provision that was on offer at the local comprehensive school was really not up to standard. Mm. Um, And so I have to thank her for that. Um, Go mom. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when you're that age, you don't know, do you? You just, you yeah. just go along with the flow and, you know, you, you take what's what's given to you. So, um, yeah, I think that's really the turning point for for me thinking, ah, you know, I've got something here, I can do something with this. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's awesome. And then you went on and you, you got your master's degree in piano performance, and then you also went on to your DMA. So you're a doctor specializing in choral conducting at Texas Tech. So you came to the US for a while for your doctorate degree. So can you talk a little bit about your collegiate experiences?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I went to Huddersfield University, which is in Yorkshire in the north of England. Um, and had the best experience there. It was an absolutely fantastic melting pot uh, for me to meet like-minded students doing, uh, you know, such similar things with music. And I just had the best time. I was obviously able to um, keep keep on with my, um, the, the trajectory that I was on with piano, So I kept on with piano lessons. I had singing lessons. I had harpsichord lessons, recorder, uh, conducting, um, and yeah, lots and lots of composition. And I performed with not only local orchestras, but the university orchestras as well. It was a fantastic university chamber choir. Um, That really was the best time of my life, I would say, in terms of just, um absorbing everything that there was on offer and immersing myself in all of the music making um that was on offer. I played Celeste as well um, <laughs> I remember in a, a local orchestra um, and I, I played a piano concerto Shostakovich's second piano concerto with the Huddersfield University Symphony Orchestra so just so many opportunities came my way um, And also there is, um, I think it's still considered to be the largest uh, festival in Europe, the Huddersfield Contemporary Music Festival. Um, So we were lucky enough to be in this big melting pot of avant-garde and new composers, writing really diverse new music for a new audience. And that was all based in Huddersfield. Um, So the opportunities that were there were just fantastic. Um, I remember performing in, in quite a few of these uh, contemporary music festival performances. Um, yeah, and I think I just met some wonderful uh, colleagues uh, and students. So, yeah, I did my, um, my uh, uh Bachelor of Music Honours degree, got a first class honours degree uh, in my piano. And then I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. Um, So it was suggested that I should just stay on for a year. Uh, So I got my master's in piano performance. Um, And then I remember doing um, a performance, a solo recital in Salby for the Salby Music Festival. Uh, And I remember putting in hours and hours and hours of practice. And then I did this performance and I had the applause at the end. And I thought, oh, was that it? (laughs) I I felt very sort of bereft. I felt really quite, I suppose, lonely, you know, because it's such a lonely activity. Um, And actually, I think it was that very first experience of a proper first solo recital. And I just went, this life is not for me. It's just not for me at all. Um, But fortunately, during that time, those four years, I um, had taken on the leadership of a community choir, and it was a really fabulous um, and all-embracing, sort of all-comers community choir. Um, And I'd started to do a little bit of um, training in terms of kodai and animator work and leadership in schools, and also with Sing for Pleasure as well, who ran uh, conducting courses. So I dipped my toe into the world of choirs and choral leadership at that point. Um, and after that first recital, I just thought, oh, no, I need to be working with, with my fellow human beings, you know, yeah. my fellow colleagues. I need to be working with people. Um, I'm very much a people person. And I think the only life of, of being with the piano was just not, I'm not cut out for that at all. Yeah, so also at the same time, very interestingly, some of my friends from university who'd already graduated approached me and asked if I would be a repetiteur for their new all-female opera company called Opera Femina. So uh, yes, I was the repetiteur for, for that for a couple of years. Um, I met Susan Dingle. That's awesome. He uh, was taught by Musen in uh, in Russia. Uh, so I learned a lot from her. She was a conductor. I was the pianist and yeah that was that was wonderful. We did some small tours around the uk yeah so so that was my sort of first four years training and then i I dabbled a lot in animateur work and work in schools. I stayed in uh, in Yorkshire in the north of England um, and I just worked i taught i was repetiteur. I accompanied at the university. Um, there was lots and lots of activity, activity going on. Um, but I also, at that time, actually, I had a collapsed lung. Um, and that sort of stopped me in my tracks a little bit. I was teaching at the local Polytechnic, I was teaching pop music, actually. <laughs> um, and I remember my life being incredibly full and incredibly busy. And having had this collapsed lung, which was a spontaneous pneumothorax, so it's just a spontaneous thing that happened, um, it really put paid to my activities, all of them. You know, all of my music making just had to completely stop. I had a pleurectomy, which is where they remove one lining of the lung and then they sort of glue the lung up. Um, Wow! Nothing, nothing will happen uh, again after their surgery. So this was about 20, 25 years ago. Um, So I went home, I recuperated. It took a very, very long time to sort of feel ready to come back again. But I did. I went back to Huddersfield. But I felt that there was something missing. So I was still working with my community choir. I'd taken on the Bradford University Singers as well. And I was doing lots of work in schools, so lots of amateur work. Um, And then I went to the ABCD um, festival, which happens every year in August. And I met John Dixon. Um, He is currently at LSU. So he's director of choral activities, uh, Louisiana State University. Mm -hmm. And um, I met him in a masterclass. And he just said to me, why don't you come to America and study with me? And I had not even considered Uh, doing any more studying let alone going to America and so he just sowed this seed in my brain and it made me think uh, much more deeply about what I wanted to do with my life and with my career so uh, I sort of blindly followed him (laughs) and actually at the time he was obviously at Texas Tech University so he Mm. was Um, uh, which is in Lubbock. And so I decided to put all my eggs in one basket and say, right, that's it. This is, this is the next thing. This is what I'm going to do. So yeah, that was 2003 to 2005. So I was there two years and they said I could go and do a master's, but I was determined to come back with a doctorate. (laughs) So while I was there, um it was uh, it was possible for me to sort of upgrade to my, my doctorate. I worked so hard um, because i didn 't really want to be away from home for more than two years i didn 't want to miss being in the loop of all of the freelance work that was that was on offer in the u k yeah um, yeah, so went over to Texas and that was uh, that was a very very different um, Uh, sort of geographical and cultural uh, experience for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so I can imagine that the people who uh, like Texas and like that sort of great expanse, and it is, as you know, just absolutely vast in so many ways, Um, I can see that for some people those vast blue skies and, and and open plains and just, you know, long drives (laughs) with nothing to see. Um, I can imagine people enjoying that experience for what it is, you know, the openness and space, the freedom. But for me, it was actually quite the reverse because I was used to greenery and discovery and adventure and hills and corners and, (laughs) you know yeah so i suppose it was just so completely opposite to what i have been used to mm-hmm. and so for me it actually felt very very different and quite claustrophobic in a way uh, ironically <laughs> um yeah. but yeah and and culturally again it's very different oh so, for sure <laughs> yeah, yeah so i met oh, yeah. some really really friendly people Um, And obviously John was absolutely brilliant. He was a wonderful mentor to me and enabled so much for me. Uh, And my fellow students really got along very, very well with them. And they were very supportive. And my learning was just wonderful. Um, The colleagues and tutors that I learned from was, was exemplary really. So I had a really, really wonderful time and my eyes were opened again you know, um, afresh to music of the African diasporas, for example, and relearning harmony and theory and counterpoint and all of those things.
1: Oh,
0: all of our favorite things, yes. Oh, yeah, but there are some (laughs) things that are different,
2: you see, so they might have, we might use the same words, but they mean different things in the UK and in America. Oh, yeah, so cadences are slightly different, I remember and obviously you use a different system with um, quarter notes and crotchets and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but um, everything I learned, I did psychology as well and art, uh, theatre production, <laughs> there were so many things that, that I did. Um, but yeah, the experience was really, really fantastic, the choral experience Um, was eye-opening and really wonderful. So I was very, very lucky to have had that opportunity. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. I'm always jealous of you choral people because, well, I'm, I'm an instrumentalist, so I'm a band director, but I'm always jealous of all of you because I don't know why it's something to do with choral singing for me, but like every choir concert I've ever been to, I cried like a baby in. Oh really? I, I there's some there's something there with that human connection, right? That like yeah. even as an instrumentalist, like I could go to an orchestra concert or a ensemble concert or what have you, and I and I obviously feel something, but it takes a lot more for me to like cry during an yeah. instrumental concert. But like every choral concert, I'm like ah!
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> By the end. Well,
2: I, I think that's because orchestral players are obviously um you know, they're they're creating music through their instrument and their instrument is something that's held and tangible and visible. Mm -hmm. So it's an appendage, it's an an extra thing. Whereas when you're talking about singers and especially a group of singers, you're talking about a group of human beings, you're talking about text, emotion, character, expression, all of these things. And I think um, when that comes together in a room with really fabulous direction, Uh, I think that's why you're moved to tears because it's, you know, it's the human soul. It's that tangible connection and communication between text and meaning and how that is conveyed to an audience that's just so palpable and so powerful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I do want to talk a little bit about your professional life and Mm -hmm. dive into some of the things that you've done and some of the projects you've created for the coral community. So I want to start by talking a little bit about your current position. So you are the Director of Training for the Association of British Coral Directors, and I love how it's ABCD that makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, can you talk a little bit about what you do for the organization and what your position is like?
2: Yeah, sure, well there are three main positions. Um, So Rachel is our general secretary and oversees the the day-to-day running of the organization. And Elizabeth is our training manager and she pulls together um, all of the the training events, the management of the training events. And then uh, myself, I'm the director of training, as you just said, so I sort of oversee the provision um, and oversee the, the tutors and the handbooks and the delivery of the training. Um, we've been going for 36 years. John Russell is our president, uh, and Brian Kay and Sue Hollingworth um, are also uh, at the top of this organization. Um, we are the largest uh, organization in the UK that uh, helps choral directors to achieve their goals. Um, so we offer training at all levels. Um, We've got an initial level, emerging and progressive level, and finally an advanced level. So we're really wanting to reach out to everybody that leads any type of choir, whether it's an a cappella, jazz, pop group, or whether it's a community choir, barbershop, gospel, classical, anything, anything goes. Um, so we're trying to grow our pool of tutors so that we have experts in their fields at um, reaching out and training all of those people in the UK that want to further their choral leadership potential. Um, so we offer mentorship um, as well. And uh, we, we've been actually at the forefront of really trying to make sense of all the government guidelines of late. So Rachel and Elizabeth in particular have done a really wonderful job and Martin Ashley as well. Um, who has been um, instrumental in just sorting through the science really and talking about uh, the spread of aerosols, et cetera, et cetera. And really as an organization, we've been trying to dispel uh, the fact that um, singing is dangerous. Singing has become this sort of demonized activity, which Mm -hmm. actually, uh, you know, has been very detrimental for all musicians, not only choral musicians. so we've been trying very hard to just make sense of the government guidelines and to deliver a really clear message to those people who work in in choral environments um, alongside making music and other organizations as well. Um, So yes, so we we offer training, we offer mentorship, we offer coaching uh, lots and lots of events that are run throughout the year in a usual non-Covid year, should I say. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we also run a a festival once a year as well. And that brings together composers, uh, choral directors, publishers as well. And it's a really fantastic opportunity uh, for all of those people in the community, um, the choral community, to come together, share ideas, share good practice, um, and just to network, really. Um, so, yeah, there, there's lots of activity um, and ABCD, as I say, sits at the forefront of, of this choral activity and choral training.
0: Yeah, it's very similar to here in the U.S. We have the American Choir Directors Association. So ACDA. Yeah, um, Very similar to that, I feel like. So that's really awesome. I also love how you mentioned that you are, you know, promoting and you are assisting all directors of all types depending doesn't matter what ensemble they teach whether they're you know in you know primary secondary education or collegiate education or professional i Mm -hmm. i love that the organization is so inclusive in that way and is promoting that as well so that's fantastic
2: absolutely yeah and we try and take people from where they are and what what skills they currently have and and move them forward um but it's always on their own personal journey so It's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we're never trying to shoehorn people into a box. It's just, yeah, whatever they come with, we will try and advocate, uh, you know, good practice, good core direction, um, and uh, try and help them get from A to B, really. Mm. That's
0: awesome. So great. And you're also uh, a co-founder of the London International Choral Conducting Competition um, at the Royal Academy of Music. So can you talk a little bit, about why you founded this competition and what it entails.
2: Yes, so my colleagues, Mark Griffiths and Jim Davey, um, they conduct two choirs, Chantage and Coro, in London, two really fine chamber choirs. And they had spoken at length about doing some kind of festival. James and I sit on the council for ABCD And both he and I felt that there should be some kind of competition for emerging conductors. Um, And so that was how the London International Choral Conducting Competition first came into being. We were joined by Robbie, so we're a team of four. And uh, yes, the inaugural competition took place in 2018 at the Royal Academy of Music. Uh, We had a few links there because I I take the um, Oral Skills Choir for the, the undergraduates there. And uh, we asked Paddy Russell, who's head of Choral Connecting um, at the Academy, to join us on the adjudicating panel. So we had Ragnar Rasmussen, uh, Martina Batic, myself, Ragnar Res- Rasmussen, as I say, um, and Bernie Sherlock. It was meant to be John Dixon, um, and very, very sadly, at the eleventh hour, he was too unwell to travel. So um, Bernie Sherlock, who uh, is my wonderful colleague from Ireland, Dublin, and Ireland. Uh, Flew over at short notice. So we were the five adjudicators. We had a full weekend um, of masterclasses uh, and uh, part of the competition obviously, so we had um, a guest chamber choir as well. So they were chamber choir Freya Uh, They came over from Finland. So there were six finalists that we actually Drew out from videos, from video submissions that people sent in. Um, And so we invited the the six finalists to come to London for the weekend. Um, And then they worked with the three chamber choirs. We had a gala concert on the Saturday evening. And on the Sunday evening, we had the final. And uh, Julia Selina Blank was our first winner. Um, And it, yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful. Uh, weekend. Um, Very intense, very tiring, very full-on but we're very proud of our efforts and very sadly we were meant to have repeated it uh, this past year just gone Um, and obviously Covid has put put paid to that Um, but the plans are to um, revisit this again this year so October this year we hope to to hold another one. We'll see how the situation goes, it may have to be delayed um further as yet but um, we're very excited to to want to be able to now grow and develop from our our starting point and make it bigger and better invite more people do more masterclasses um and and grow uh yes as as it develops over the years
0: that's great that's so awesome and yeah covid's ruined everything and just (laughs) 2020 is a wash just throw it out we're done
2: (laughs) Quite, yes, yes. Not very many fond memories looking back.
0: <laughs> no, no, not at all. We're, we're still in the thick of it, even over here. So yeah, um, we fingers crossed that the vaccine, we have more of, of the vaccines because as I've read, it's very limited um, how many vaccines we have right now. So ah.
2: yeah, I think it's about the speed and, and efficacy of, of,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah
2: delivering all these vaccines and making sure everyone everyone gets them at the right time so yeah
0: yes 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 for sure you also recently established um, an organization called wavelength to celebrate educate nurture and support women in choral leadership so can you talk a little bit about this organization and what its mission is
2: Absolutely, yes. Wavelength was co-founded by myself and Andrea Brown. We have similar similar thoughts about choral leadership and a similar sort of portfolio. Uh, so we have both worked with very many choirs over the years and felt that our experiences complemented one another. So we set this up really to advocate for women in choral leadership. Um, We had our inaugural event in 2018, so it was a very, very busy year, I remember, (laughs) 2018. Um, And uh, we we hosted Chorus Sound, uh, which is my new all-female vocal ensemble, and also Jubilate Ladies' Choir as well. Um, So we had an evening concert with those two uh, upper voice ensembles. And we invited Dr. Alicia Walker over from the States to come and present for us. We had Dr. Ginevra Williams, um, who really, what she doesn't know about the voice isn't worth knowing. (laughs) Um, So she brings together sort of a perspective, a science um, perspective, but also a performance perspective as well about the voice, healthy singing, um, and vocal technique. Uh, we also had Marian Friend, who uh, is a wonderful advocate for uh, female choral leaders, female leaders of all kinds, actually. Um, so she talked about career paths and um, moving forward uh, in the world of choral leadership as a, as a career pathway. Uh, so it was a wonderful inaugural event. Uh, we had lots of people joining us, um, and we had really fresh and stimulating debate on what it's like to be a woman in choral leadership and uh, what the status quo is regarding positions and vacancies that are available to us and how we can break the glass ceiling um, and how we can strive for equity in what is still really a male-dominated world.
0: That's fantastic. I'd like to pick your brain a little bit about um, women in choral leadership. I know when we're looking at the different content areas of music, right, so we got you know, choir, we have band, we have orchestral and general music and those sorts of things. There tend to be a lot of women in choir conducting positions at like the primary and secondary level, compared to other areas like band, for example, band is very heavily male dominated. So what are your thoughts about um, the representation of women in choral leadership? Is that different than, you know, your educators or is it about the same?
1: I would say
2: it's very similar actually. Um, So there are more women working in primary, I would say at least, definitely more women working in the primary sector uh, in education and more women working with children's choirs and youth choirs. Um, And then there are far fewer women working in the higher echelons of of core society. (laughs) So there are women that that lead um, successful chamber choirs, but We don't seem to be able to be breaking that barrier down yet. Um, There are women that are coming into, I would say, even more orchestral positions now than choral leadership positions. Um, But you've got Sophie Genan, who's uh, now working with the BBC Singers, which is wonderful. Um, Obviously, Mirga Grazente Tila, who, Lithuanian conductor, working with the... Uh, Birmingham Symphony Orchestra which is fabulous and she started off um, in the choral world so that's really really wonderful to see and many more around the world. Um, However there are many fewer women in general who are working with that high level uh, chamber choir um, in that chamber choir scenario you know very very few women in that position.
0: Yeah. So why, do you have an opinion as to why you think that exists? Why, why there is that discrepancy between the two areas?
2: I still think that um, progression is slow. Mm -hmm. Even when I look back at my own career and my own education, I was taught mostly by men. Most of my choir directors were men. It, you know, I didn't even know that conducting was even available to me as a human being. You know, yeah. it yeah. didn't seem to be something that I, I didn't see other women doing it, you know. Um, and I'm only 45, for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that the RPS, the Royal Philharmonic Society, um, and the Royal Academy of Music do have programs in place Um that are now advocating alongside Wavelength as well um, for women in choral leadership and women in orchestral leadership as well. Women on the podium, women who can stand on that podium podium and feel confident and strong and visible and um, as if they should be there, you know? And I think it's only really in the last decade or so that we are seeing this change taking place. Yeah. yeah, so oh, trying to remember the, the name of the program at the academy is the Sorrel Women's Program, and mm-hmm. what it offers is four weekends over the year, um, working with female conductors uh, with a view to going into the master's degree. Um, and more could be found out about that on their website, actually. Uh, and Sean Edwards, who is um, their head of orchestral conducting. Um, at the Academy, she talks brilliantly about this Sorrel Women's Programme. So if anyone's listening who's interested in that, um, do go onto their website and have a look. But um, yes, I think it's a bit like um, turning a a cruise liner around or a tanker around, (laughs) it takes a very, very long time. And then it's not only enabling these positions and enabling women to get these positions, But it's also re educating audiences as well. It's about re educating everybody actually that women can be successful, bold, strong, confident, dynamic leaders, um, and that it's purely the domain for men. There should be equity and parity um, across the sexes um, for choral leadership. Mm. Yeah,
0: and, and I do have to agree with you on your thoughts about how, you know, choir as a whole tends to be a very women-dominated field, but there is that discrepancy when it comes to choral conducting. This seems like a separate entity, right, where women aren't as prevalent in, you know, your major choral leadership positions, and I do agree with you that I think it has to do with Historically, women have not been viewed as being, you know, authoritative or commanding or all these words that they use to like box women out of these leadership positions. And I think it's the same across the board. It's the same with orchestral conducting. It's the, definitely the same in the wind band world as well. But I, yes, I do have to agree with you. I think that is the center of the issue. And I did um, appreciate your comment about also re-educating audiences as well, because you know, we as musicians can say, yeah, this is not right, let's fix it. But we also have to re-educate the public who may not be as invested or as involved in the world that we grew up in um, as well.
2: Yeah. And I agree. Um, Even people in orchestras and choirs as well, you know, and I've been on the other side of that. I come stand on the podium and, you know, there might be, there might be a, a tut or a roll of an eye or, you know, or whatever. And, and you really need players and singers to be supportive of women in leadership as well. You really yeah. do need everybody to be on board. So this, this issue really um, is, for, is for all of us. It's for all of us to be open-minded and, you know, to, to welcome this change um, and to be supportive of, of anybody, regardless of, of background or colour or sex or, or gender, anything. Um yeah, and it, it really should boil down to um ability and personality and you know all of those things. Uh yeah. it it should be about musicianship. It should not be about gender at all. Yes. Um and I think yeah, the, the world is just changing very, very slowly, you know? It really is. If I'd have stayed in America, I know that I would have been able to secure a position that John Dixon has, you know, a director of choral activities in the university would have been a dream, but I really wanted to be in the UK. I really didn't want to stay in America, but the work opportunities are there in America. Every university has a director of choral activities and okay. an assistant, you know, absolutely every university in the UK three places wow and those are filled by men of course although actually my colleague Andrea is now at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama which is Yay. a wonderful, wonderful thing <laughs> yes um, but yeah up until now it's been very male dominated and it's so 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 difficult to to break through and so I think this is why I have a portfolio career because I've just had to make everything happen for myself, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's why I wanted to be part of the London International Choral Conducting Competition, to try and make make a difference there. And why uh, I set up Wavelength, just to try and make a difference, however however small that is. Um, And also to establish Chora Sound, my upper voice ensemble, just to try and make a difference um Uh, even even yeah as I say in a very very small way um you've got to start somewhere
0: (laughs) oh I completely agree and I had no idea that there were not that many you know university choral director positions over in the UK I had no idea that that was the case I think we're very fortunate over here in the US that you know a lot of our major universities do have a choir director position um, at music school and um, I think for me like in my university experience um, I had kind of a mix my undergrad the director of choral studies was a woman my graduate work it's a man so it's it's, you know it's a little a little different um, depending on what university you are at but I do think yeah there are there are definitely more university opportunities here, not just in choir but in, in every every facet Um, But if we're looking at, you know, I'm just going to speak from the band world because that's what I know. That's what I do. There are only, I want to say, I think there are seven black women who are university band directors in our entire country. Um, At Like all the universities and everything, there are only seven of them. So, you know, it's universities have very much kind of boxed certain peoples out historically. And I think that is starting to change. And that's why there are those small pools of people that are there and have become successful. And like you said, had to do it for themselves um, because you know, Years ago, there weren't these support systems that we've been talking about that you have also helped create. There, there weren't those communities there um, Mm -hmm. to promote women, to promote people of color, to promote the LGBTQ community, and those sorts of things. So I think it's great that we're you know moving in the right direction. But like you said, it is like turning a ship, right? It's taking forever. It seems like.
2: Yeah, yeah, and there's no reason. You know, it's just oh, yeah, it's just taking far too long. Yeah. <laughs> but if I can pave the way for others, you know, and really advocate for young women coming through now, then I feel really that that's where my strength lies now. Because even now, at the age of forty-five, I feel that you know the opportunities now for me are are possibly slimmer than they were before. So I, I very interestingly, I now get overlooked. For job positions that I apply for, because they pick my students instead, so that's really interesting, and I'm delighted for them, absolutely delighted. But you know what? What does that say? It's like you know, the, yeah. it's what they're looking for. They're looking for young people and fresh ideas and everything. But actually, <laughs> those ideas have probably come from you know these these young students' tutors. <laughs> um, so yeah it's it's a very very interesting sort of situation for me at the moment yeah
0: yeah that's very interesting oh my goodness yeah i mean it's and it's hard too because there's so much taboo surrounding like hiring practices and why people hire in certain ways and that sort of thing and really should just come down to who's the most skilled for the job it shouldn't matter you know what you look like and who you are and who you identify as but there's so much taboo and so much secrecy sometimes mm-hmm. um, around certain hiring the way the way certain organizations hire um individuals yeah. and it's a little little questionable sometimes um, yeah as well yeah for sure
2: i think this is why blind auditioning is so useful and so yes. good. um But yes, very, very often um, an organization will have someone in mind and they're going to go for that person anyway. So when that happens, I always feel a little bit dejected because invariably they'll go through the process of opening out the job to the wider community. And then when you apply and you don't get it and the person who you thought was going to get it, (laughs) you know, they've had their eye on anyway. Uh, And another thing that happens a lot in the musical world is um, personal recommendation, which can work well if you're in the, you know, you know the right people and you're in the right place at the right time. Um, But equally it can go against you because it could be that old fashioned saying of the jobs for the boys, you know? So yeah, and I think in this um, country as well where we have such a long established uh, choral history in terms of the cathedral music making and the boys' choirs and the organists. And, you know, you would come up through the chorister ranks or through the organists' ranks, and then you would step up into the role of being the the choir director. And it's been like that for centuries, centuries, you know? And so to actually change that and break that down um, is is a big job. And it's taking a, a really, really long time. And I know uh, people like Louise Stewart, for example, um, who who have uh, released three new anthologies um, using the title Multitude of Voices. Uh, They've got three volumes now of sacred music by female composers. Um, Yeah, and this this music is appropriate for Advent, Christmas, Easter, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's been... Yeah, it's, it's just been um, incredibly intense research and editing on their part. Um, and as a team, they've worked tirelessly to pull together this repertoire and all these female composers to advocate for uh, female choral composers. Um, and uh, yeah, Steiner and Belle are, um, are selling these anthologies. So again, if anyone is interested, um, Stainer and Bell is the place to look and they are published by a multitude of voices. Um, but yeah, it's it's the first of its kind. I mean, we're 2021 and it's these are the <laughs> first books.
0: Of- Isn't that um, like what, right? <laughs> yeah. mind yeah. blowing.
2: It's absolutely unbelievable. I know they're taking these anthologies to America as well. So please do watch out for them. Um, I highly highly recommend them and and advocate for them Uh, one of my pieces is mentioned actually is featured, not mentioned um, in the the second anthology Um, and uh, I'm super super proud of of being part of these fabulous uh, female composers so yeah yeah such an honor (laughs) it's
0: fantastic wow so awesome and yeah 2021 and now we're finally getting somewhere with this it's yeah, it's mind blowing for sure. The last thing I wanted to talk to you about is you created an online course for choral musicians on choral leadership and pedagogy um, because of what's going on with the pandemic. So can you talk a little bit about this course and the process that you went through in creating the online course and what that experience was like for you? Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. I felt I needed to do something or else like everyone else in the world, I would have just gone mad.
0: (laughs) That's why I started the podcast. I feel you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, quite. Um, I think there's a lot of creativity that's come out of this adversity. Um, even though, you know, it doesn't feel good to be in it. Uh, some really good things have come out of it. So core leadership and pedagogy was, was born out of that frustration and also, uh, the the desire to offer training to um, those people in any form of choral leadership, uh, working with any type of choir, to just bring them together and and do some online training. Um, I had lost the summer work that I usually do. So I usually lead um, a week's training called the Art of Choral Direction at the Sherbourne Summer School. Um, So that week had gone, I was planning on doing a week in Italy as well in September. That week had disappeared. Uh, I was also due to be working on an opera program in Nairobi that had disappeared as well. So um, my ABCD teaching, of which you know I, I dip into that throughout the year, and I would normally do uh, I don't know six, seven, eight days worth of training, I had also gone as well. And I felt that I was in a unique position to offer something um, in in the new uh, void, uh, especially during the summer holidays that had been created thanks to COVID. So the course is three days. Um, It was two 90 minute sessions in the morning. Um, And then I was interviewing people in the evening as well. So it was an hour long interview in the evening. So I had uh, Sean Edwards, who else have I interviewed? Uh, Paul Miller, uh, Matt Wright, oh Jim, the wonderful Jim, whose surname uh, I always struggle to pronounce, Dawes Yenu, I think it is, <laughs> and Thomas Kaplan, my colleagues uh, from from Europe. Um, so they were in the evening, and then in the afternoons, I offered um, private one to one lessons with people. Uh, so that was a lovely thing to be able to get to meet people and really find out much more about the people on the course. So that was lovely. And then my colleague, Julie Bale, um, she led some vocal technique sessions and she's also trained in teaching yoga. So we had yoga every morning as well, just half an hour. Um, some of it was seated, some of it was a little bit more intense, but um, she worked on, on breathing and energy and, and sort of power, power moves, that sort of thing. So that's how the course was born and the content was things such as um, the technique, so beat patterns um, and how to decide on your beat patterns and articulation and gesture and size, shape, density of those beat patterns and then other topics such as concert management, uh, vocal technique as I've already mentioned, rehearsal planning, um, pacing of the rehearsal um, strategies for practicing conducting when you're by yourself um, score preparation repertoire planning program planning so an awful lot of content uh, went into it um, and I was delighted actually I when I was creating this I said well how many people should I should I really ideally want on this course and then I thought well, If I use my TV screen and I have everybody on Zoom in front of me, then I could see 25 people in one go. And I didn't want to flip between screens. So I said, right, 25 people, that's going to be my absolute maximum, (laughs) thinking I might get 10 or 15 or something. Um, And I had 25 people exactly. And it was just the most wonderful thing because um, the Barnsley Youth Choir, who... Uh, are doing absolutely wonderful things. And again, if you haven't heard of them, please Google them, Barnsley Youth Choir. They actually sent, because they they have now 450 children in in their core structure. They sent about eight of their directors onto my course, which was wonderful. The Barnsley Youth Choir enabled that for their staff. So they enabled them to come on this course, which was just wonderful. So there was a cohort that already knew one another, and then there were other people who had never been able to get to any of my live teaching or any of ABCD's live teaching, perhaps for reasons of family you know, um, commitments and, and re- restrictions and things like that, um, that were able to actually sign up uh, wherever they lived in the world. I had someone from Belgium, a couple of people from Ireland. so it was really really nice to just bring people together Um, and it reminded me of who i was and what i was good at and what i was able to do. Um, I'm not saying it was easy because i absolutely had kittens sort of thinking about the technology. Unfortunately Zoom played ball and everything worked like a dream except the breakout room at the end but anyway let's not talk about that (laughs) But. The technology side of things uh, really just, yes, made me feel very anxious, but it worked. Okay,
0: it's a learning curve for everybody, trust me. (laughs)
2: Yes, I know, I know. Uh, But I was just so, so relieved. And then I ran another course as well. So it was the same CLP course in October. Um, And that that was just lovely as well. And I will run one in Easter. Um, So... It, it's enabled me to just be reminded of who I am and what I do and what I'm good at and what I'm trained to do. Um, cause I think in these dark days, you know, you really can forget all of those things you forget. Um, yeah, your raison d'etre and, um, and your skills, because if your skills are only used in live situations and you're, you're no longer allowed to be in those live situations, then it's very easy to get in a rut and to, to forget. Yeah, so I think that was another reason why I sort of grasped the nettle and said, no, I am going to do this. Um, yeah. And even though it's been hard work, it's, it's been absolutely worth it tenfold.
0: That's excellent. Yeah, I feel like this time has fostered a lot of creativity and a lot of people thinking outside the box and starting different projects. And I think that's the one positive that has come out of this situation this past year for sure my last question for you is actually it's kind of more of a deep thought sort of question but has anyone ever gave you a piece of advice or anything that has stuck with you during either you know your collegiate experiences or in your professional experiences that you can share with everyone that's been helpful for you
2: i think the the best bit of advice i was given from a colleague Was about auditions, and he said to me, Remember, they're not only auditioning you, but you're auditioning them. And I think we forget that when we're in this position of being judged, and we try and perhaps be someone that we're not, or try and be better than we think we are, or (laughs) you know, uh, or perhaps we over try. Um, And I think it's really important to remember that it's an equal playing field and that you are auditioning the choir just as much as they are auditioning you. And following on from that, committees on these interview panels of choirs are very often not musicians. They might be a judge, a lawyer, a teacher, a bin collector, you know, you don't know. You don't know who they are and what they do. And so, yeah, I think that sort of helps young students, especially, and I I, I know that this helped me when I was doing a lot of auditions when I was younger. Um, it, it helps you to get over knockbacks um, and just sort of remember that you need to stay true to yourself. Yeah. Try and try and overlook that, that sense of judgment or failure and actually If it didn't happen, it wasn't meant to be and something else will come along. Yeah. So I suppose it's a piece of advice about auditions and interviews and perspective.
0: Yeah. Uh, Excellent. Amy, I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on and for sharing your experiences and some of the amazing organizations and projects that you have been a part of and have founded. I think you're doing some incredible work to help bring more equity to um, choral leadership so I appreciate so much that you came on to talk with us today
1: thank you
2: so much for having me Cassidy it's been really really wonderful thank you for giving me your time and listening to me